Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss everything film-related, from new releases to old favourites, historical epics to exploitation movies, from Spartacus to Foxy Brown. My name is Michael Brooks, I'm here with Bill King and Sam Oliver. Hello there. Hello there. Now then, this week we are going to be discussing uh, a new film by Sam Levinson, Malcolm and Marie. Before we get to that though, we're going to start, as we always do, with a little bit of film news from the week that has just gone. I'm going to start us off with with something that I saw this week, to put it to you chaps. Which iconic villain has Emma Stone been cast as this week? Darth Vader? I'm not sure she's got the stature for that. Good guess. Good guess. You can do anything with CGI these days. Like... Yeah, I'm sure, they can bulk her up. Big, you know. big stilts, I guess. Um, I I don't know. Um, she's in. She's oh, you know what? She's in. She's involved in all them Spider Man things. Um, Green Goblin. Oh, close, close. You are close, actually. Uh, Color wise. Oh, um, green. The Green Giant. The Jolly Green Giant. From the he's God. not a villain. <laughs> he's just trying to make kids eat corn. <laughs> I, I thought. I thought maybe they were going in a new direction with the character and the advertising. <laughs> Don't eat your greens, children. <laughs> no, Emma Stone has been cast as a female Frankenstein. She's reuniting with Yorgos Lanthimos uh, for a film called Poor Things. Uh, they worked together on The Favourite. Uh, she's been cast as, and I quote, a volatile, oversexed, emancipated woman and a female Frankenstein. Oh, Ooh. that is so exciting. That a great director as well. That's a that's a good good team up as well. So not the monster, do we think? Like she'll she'll be the Doctor Frankenstein and then make a monster. Yes, perhaps you're right. Yes, the distinction has not been made at this point. I think Yorgos Yorgos Lanthimos has used um, Colin Farrell in a few of his films. So maybe Colin Farrell will be Frankenstein's monster, and Emma Stone will make him. Imagine that as a double act. That'd be I'd great. watch that. I'd definitely watch that. Yeah, that sounds cool. That does sound cool. I think she's she's great, yeah. Um, so I've got another another question for you both. Um, so this week, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag fame and Donald Glover of Atlanta fame announced that they're going to star in a reboot of which 2005 action comedy? It's going to be made into a series for Amazon. Um, it's going to premiere, I think, next year sometime. So it's a 2005 action comedy. Team America? <laughs> I mean, if anyone can pull it off, it's Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridges, but no, sadly not. Um, it's it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith, isn't it? It is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which, again, I am excited about. Well, so, yeah, so originally it was Jack Nicholson and somebody else? No, it wasn't. It was, um, it was this, oh, no, I forget. So it was someone and someone else. Good, good knowledge for this film podcast, gents. Um, so it was two people. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think if you want to choose um, two of the the most original um, sort of actors writers out there, are they writing it as well, Sam, or are they? Um, I'm not sure. I literally just saw um, it was on like Donald Glover's Instagram story, just like a video of him and Phoebe Waller Bridges, and it was like Mission Mr. Smith 2022 Amazon. So. Details are scarce, but like you're saying, they're two really great all-rounders. So I feel like if anyone can make it worth your while. And also, yeah, I think Bill's made the connection. They've already worked together in Solo, A Star Wars Story. So they've got that sweet chemistry. Which I have to say, for a film that had its flaws, the best thing about it was the chemistry between Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian 
and Phoebe Waller-Bridge's sexy robot. Um, yeah. And for a Disney film, they were implying a lot of stuff going on between the robot and him, which I was I was all on board for. <laughs> Very much so, so. The original Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I've just looked it up, was a 1941 screwball comedy directed by Hitchcock. Uh, oh, yeah. Carol Lombard and Robert Montgomery. It's way off. <laughs> It's um very different to the Brad it's very different to the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie action comedy, if I remember my CGI. Alfred Hitchcock films correctly. Yes. And also, uh whose photograph of their seventieth birthday got a lot of attention on Twitter this week? And why? Oh absolute babe and a half. I mean, I'm not sure exactly why, other than it was a really great-looking cake, but the lovely Shelley Duvall. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm not sure. It was her 70th birthday last year, I think. It came from a Hollywood Reporter article, which was a really good article. I had a read-through of it. Uh, she doesn't do very many media interviews or things of that nature. But that cake did look phenomenal. The cake was joyous as well. I have to say, the cake was joyous. You should you should check out. Yeah. There was all sorts on it. How would you eat it? <laughs> I mean, it would, it would require some precision cutting. Well, yeah, unless you're going to cut in half a whale and slaughter a dragon in it. But um, yeah, it's got everything on it. I think it was just a, a, a joyous conglomeration of of of, of aceness. Oh, yeah. Just whenever whenever I see Shelley Duvall, I'm always just like, I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're having a nice time today. And that picture, I was just like, yep, she's having a damn good time. It's beautiful Happy to birthday. see. Excellent. So this week we are going to talk about Malcolm and Marie. This is a new film that has come to Netflix. It's uh, by the director, writer Sam Levinson. It's also the first major release filmed under COVID restrictions. Uh, so no doubt we'll have a, a little bit of a chat about that later on. Uh, bear in mind, neither of us, we, we haven't checked each other's notes beforehand, so we don't know what each other think about this. But I'll just give a little bit of an overview of, of the plot uh, and the setup. So it's a domestic drama starring uh, John David Washington and Zendaya. Uh, they are a couple who arrive home after uh, Malcolm, so they play Malcolm and Marie. Uh, Malcolm's film premiere, uh, Malcolm's in a quite a celebratory mood, uh, whereas Marie is is not very happy, it's fair to say. And this is because Malcolm overlooked thanking her in his speech. And what happens is this gradually unfolds as the layers of resentment and bitterness that have built up in their relationship. Uh, and you... You know, the, the two characters are quite uh, well drawn. He's very egotistical and ambitious. There's plenty of animosity towards the critics who he sees as trying to define his work through the prism of race to fulfill their own requirements. And she's a recovering addict who believes that he has mined her experience and her pain to use as his artistic endeavor. And as I say, the drama plays out between the space of four walls over the course of about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, so, Sam, do you want to go first? What did you think of Malcolm and Marie? One of the, like, this is a very specific feeling, but it's one that I think you both will be able to at least relate to at some point. But finishing Malcolm and Marie, it felt like I'd sat through, like, a very professional and well put together GCSE drama performance evening. It was incredibly well acted. I think they both did, like, an absolutely stellar job. But I just found myself being like, Oh, this, this is missing that like X factor that I was expecting it to have. Because I think those two are super great performers and Sam Levinson's um, Assassination Nation was a real surprise joy for me. So I was expecting quite a bit from it. And I feel like at points it very much delivered, but at other points I, at other points I thought it was 
a little bit self-indulgent. The film at certain points to me felt like Sam Levinson going through therapy that he should be talking to someone about, but doing it on screen with famous actors. Like that whole section where he's complaining about critics and comparing himself to William Wyler, it felt like he was going like, hey, we've all related to this experience, haven't we? We've all had a really great review for our film. And oh, isn't it annoying when they don't understand the meaning behind your film? I'm like, no, I I literally cannot relate to this emotion or this feeling. And it feels like you're washing your dirty laundry in public, albeit in a very good looking way and in a very stylish way. But it didn't feel like there was enough of an effort made to kind of bring you into those feelings and bring you into that experience. So like one of the main feelings I had was like, do you know the bit in, and the one that came to mind to me was marriage story. And like the bit in marriage story where they have that really intense argument in um, Adam Driver's tiny flat and he punches the hole in the wall. And it's like a, I can't remember exactly how long it is, but that scene like encapsulates so many of those kind of like emotions and feelings and so much of the anger and resentment, but love that's going on as well. It's such a complicated scene. And I felt like Malcolm and Marie dragged out a potential argument for a hundred minutes that didn't feel like it was needed. And I feel like one of the things that a lot of good arguments have is a back and forth between the characters. Whereas Malcolm and Marie felt very much like it's your turn for a monologue now. So we'll sit back and listen to your monologue. Now it's your turn for a monologue. Yep, very nice. Which I feel like must be a great opportunity for an actor. I can totally see why they'd sign up to do a film like that, especially if it was filmed under like COVID restrictions. Like if you've not got <laughs> if you've not got any work on and somebody approaches you to do this film where you get to do some like I'm proper monologue acting, because you don't get that a lot in films. You don't as an actor, I don't think you'd be able to think of many films where like the bit when John David Washington's Zendaya's in the bath and he's having that kind of big old speech at her about how all these different women have influenced the character. Like that was pretty much just their faces on screen, super close up doing these monologues. And like, it's very impressive acting, but I feel like in terms of the story and in terms of their characters, it didn't quite drag me in. And my final thing, and if you're playing creaky chair film podcast, bingo, you can tick this off your card. Now the lighthouse is a two-hander that never, ever feels like a two-hander. It's just those two guys in the lighthouse, but the setting and the character development is such a character unto itself that despite the fact it's very much those two, you don't feel like it's just those two. But Malcolm and Marie, at its worst moments, I felt I was very aware that I was just watching two people do monologues at each other. And that's a really interesting point about The Lighthouse. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection. I feel like someone's got to get it in each episode. So yeah. um, I saw I saw an opening that I was like, this is actually legit. This is a legit opening into The Lighthouse. It's <laughs> good. A- A24 will be sending you residual check. Um, <laughs> yeah, just if Robert Eggers can follow me on Instagram, that'd be great. <laughs> Bill, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, I largely um, completely agree, to be honest. I think the, the, the problem with this sort of film is you can always level, oh, well, it could be a play. And for me, a film, you have so much more in your toolbox that you can, that you can do that a play can't. And this film didn't always do that. And whether that was due to COVID restrictions or whatnot, I don't know. But I think I'd use the specific example of um, 
Malcolm has a large rant against film critics. And um, the way it's framed is he's mostly in the background of the shot. And it's 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 kind of a just um, it, you've got Zendaya in the foreground, but she's I don't think she's even facing the camera, and he's ranting in the background, and I'm sitting there watching it and thinking, well, I could be seeing this on stage. Now, you know, it, it, it's 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 up for debate whether whether that's fine in a film or not, but I don't think the film had enough in it to to delineate between itself and a play, and I, I think it would have worked better as a short film, maybe, because my problem was it was relentless. It never really seemed to build. It, it, I think from the very early in the first the first third of it, you kind of reached this point where both of the characters have been incredibly brutal to each other. And we we just hit that point already, and I didn't really feel like it built anywhere. I also totally um, agree with with Sam's point on that. I thought it felt very actory. It, I felt like I was being acted at, and this came to a head to me during the audition scene, where you know I won't go into the specifics of it, but I was I was very aware I was being acted at, and then it turns out I was because you know the, the the characters playing a certain role in the argument and whatnot. And I'd, I'd say as another another point is I think you have to be very careful when when you're making a film about filmmaking that you don't come across as too pretentious and in the know. And I think the best films about filmmaking are the ones that do make it accessible um, and do think, well, this is about a filmmaking process, but it could be about any art making process, you know, any any artistry. It could be about music, painting, anything that you put creative endeavor into. Whereas this went into real specifics when he's having rants at critics about oh she's she's insulting me about she's saying that i've used different lenses i didn't use different lenses in this bit and it's like well i wouldn't know if you were using different lenses and i'm really into my films and i just thought it was it'd be very alienating um to well it alienated me and i'm a i'm a big film geek um yeah i don't think there's any denying that um zendaya and um, john david washington are fantastic actors and i also think from other stuff they've been in they're really likable as well and this didn't allow it. They were both incredibly brutal and relentless. And there's, there's, you know, and all the way through, it's emotional abuse. You know, I think, I think he comes off worse uh, from that. From that point, I thought the bathtub scene was horrific, um, just just in the emotional battery. And just when I thought, oh, there's going to be, you know, there's some likability starting to creep in for a second. Bang! Someone else says something utterly horrible to the other person and it's all gone there was no moments of levity and i think it's really important in a film like this to have a moment of levity or have a moment where you can have empathy and it was very few because you were constantly switching sides between them because they were just taking it in turn to just batter the other one with with horrible words and and i think there was one moment i i i laughed at um and and I don't think that's enough when you're going for a, for a, a two hour film, or whatever it was. I just felt exhausted after it. I felt like I'd been in an argument. Out out of interest, um, what did you laugh at? I just want to see if it's the same thing that I laughed um, at. It was it was after the audition scene, and I think he said something like, "Well, shit, why don't you do that in the audition?" Yeah, that that I also laughed when he was um, really angrily eating that macaroni cheese. I thought that's some of the if I can give the film its due, that's some of the best angry eating whilst monologuing acting i've seen in quite a while and right. that must be incredibly hard to do i'd say as well acting yeah like you've got to imagine between each setup they're having to get him some more mac and cheese in there that's mm. filling he's a guy who looks after himself when he had his top off later i was like wow Ooh. you know you don't mm. eat much mac and cheese in real life do you john and um yeah he was chowing down he was going wasn't he but he was eating it like he was hungry at the end of a night out as well i was just like see john david washington knows what it's like to be 
kind of drunk at the end of a night and needing some mac and cheese. So that bit, that, that stellar performance. Mike, are you going to come in and say you loved it? Um, well, unfortunately, I mean, I think we are going to all, all three of us be on much the same page. So Assassination Nation, as you both know, uh, I I loved, uh, this is Levinson's previous film as a director from a couple of years ago. Uh, I thought it was if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, I would urge you to do so. I think it's it's one of the best films I've seen that reflect the experience, the sensory experience of be, of the internet and social media and shame culture. Uh, I thought it was just absolutely brilliant, and I think it showcased Levinson as a director with very much with his finger on the pulse of now and making films about the zeitgeist, try and also trying to write invigorating and unusual films. So I went into this really hoping to like it and thinking that it would be uh, perhaps of the same ilk. Uh, first of all, I mean, I agree with with what you've said already. It it looks chic. It looks stylish. It reminded me of the kind of, you know, Goddard's Breathless and films of, films of that French New Wave era. Um, the performances are very convincing, as you've already said. John David Washington's such a physical actor, isn't he? He's dancing around and sort of, you know, throwing, throwing punches around and in frustration. They are both. I completely get your point, actually, Bill, about being acted at. Yes, yeah, so that on reflection, I, I do think that's that's a fair one. But I thought they were they were believable as people experiencing their their emotions in in that setting. So I think performance wise, it, it was it was admirable. So as I say, I really wanted to like it. The setup was was promising. You know, the fact that they all their backstory gradually builds up and all the poison they've buried gradually comes starts to seep out. But to want to spend time in two people's company for a whole film watching them essentially have an argument for that to work you have to ha- you have to be more invested in the characters for that to fully resonate and I, I, it put me in mind of you know i think the gold standard here is in yeah, ingmar bergman's uh, scenes from a marriage which is very long i mean it was originally filmed as a like a series but then it was made into a theatrical version but the point of that is you get to know the characters really well you empathize with them before they then explode in this emotional angst and the turmoil, and it's exactly the same with you know, with Woody Allen's husband and husbands and wives. It's the same with Richard Linklater's Before Midnight. You know the characters are so well crafted, even if you only you know if you haven't seen the other two of the trilogy. But the, it's building up to that last act, which is why it's then so powerful when it comes. And again, you know, Sam, you, you talked about Marriage Story, which I completely agree with as well. The character development's there. And actually, to be honest, it felt a little bit derivative of Marriage Story, the fact that, you know, they start. And he's like a theatre director, isn't he? Um, and, and there's the resentments there. The point where it lost me is Malcolm's rant about the review of the film about halfway through. It's the 10-minute rant, and that is where it, you know, it started... I can see why he was trying to, you know, bring in the sort of meta-critiquing of a film within a film... But it felt like a it felt like a film studies diatribe to me, and I, I realized I you know I don't care enough about these characters. It's a reflection of privileged Hollywood elites railing against the world. I felt it was just self indulgent, vain, and egotistical. And I think it's such a shame because if you consider the conditions in which the film was made, in different characters, that situation, you know, you think about this situation is something that pretty much everyone in the world has been in over the last year, stuck within four walls, often with just one other person. And I'm sure, you know, in lockdown and all the tensions boiling over, and I'm sure there's been a lot of examinations of relationships over the, over, over the year. If you think about that setup and that situation that everyone can empathise with, you could have made a much more interesting film. I hope it's a temporary misstep for Levinson and I hope he gets back to 
uh, a previous previous form. It very much felt like um, so. The idea of it being made kind of under COVID restrictions, it feels you can almost sense that rush of like rush to get it made and rush to kind of be like have the clout of like oh we made this under lockdown restrictions, and I think you're like absolutely bang on the money that like there's all these things that I feel like in a in a film that had been kind of more thought about, there'd be a bit more of like getting into the character's psyche and exploring them a little bit better. Whereas it felt like this was an idea that Levinson has been batting around for a while. Like I read somewhere that it's based on an experience of his where he didn't thank his wife, I think, at an Assassination Nation screening. So it's very much like ripped from his life. And it feels like he had the idea to do something like this, scribbled it all down, didn't really go through any rewrites, then was like, cool, yeah, let's just do this and get it all sorted. It didn't, it felt like, I think, Bill, you mentioned it briefly that like, I think there is a good like 40 minute film in there somewhere. And I think, I don't want to go into too much detail about the specifics of the argument they have, but I feel like there is, you can almost trace a good like arc of that argument from beginning to end that, could have been done over 40 minutes that potentially would have, if not kind of been as got as deep into the characters that like, obviously some of the films that you've mentioned, Michael, but like it would have felt a bit more of a journey from start to finish. And like one of the things that frustrated me is when in the, towards the end, when it started kind of hinting at the idea that like, they're both kind of really into this toxic relationship. Like they both kind of love emotionally battering each other and then, because the film jumped from like arguments to them both like purring at each other in a very kind of like sexual manner, and it felt like there was a potential. I was like, "Oh, this is quite interesting." Like when it got to the point where I was like, "Oh, are they going to explore the idea that they're both really into this very damaged relationship?" I was like, "Oh, this is going to be an interesting thing to explore." But it then was like, "Oh no, some Zendaya's got to do her monologue about how she's annoyed now." So sit back and we'll ignore all that sort of potential development. It felt like a rushed project that needs a little bit more, well, editing, really. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and, you know, <laughs> as, as you said, Mike, you, you weren't, I wasn't invested in the characters enough to be like, oh, please stay together, or I want to know more about your relationship. I was just like, oh, just fucking break up, guys, come on. <laughs> One of the things I'd say, you know, in its, in its positive, if he wanted to... to um, give you the the authentic feeling of what it's like after an argument where you're just exhausted um and just oh gosh i can't do this anymore i want to go to bed that's that's great well done um but i'd say as well it didn't ever feel like a natural argument because a natural argument people are talking over each other and people occasionally just swear on whereas this they were patiently listening to monologues constantly you know not getting a word in edgeways are just like yes okay now it's my turn to let this very well written very well performed um witty monologue that's cutting and brutal and all of this and I'll, I'll just patiently wait here and look broken and then i'll have a breath i'll put on some some cool music maybe have a, have a sexy cigarette and have a drink bang now it's my turn and i'm, I'm rejuvenated and i'm going and it was like it was like watching a wrestling match or something they just kept tagging each other in <laughs> sure it was on purpose but you know, it didn't. It didn't seem realistic. They didn't. They never seemed like real people. Um, that was an issue for me. And I think, like, because it's so, it's like you were saying, Michael, about the idea of like it being very having the potential to be like a very relatable film because of the experience people have had over the last year. It sets itself up to do that, and then almost kind of like 
it sets up very realistically. And the bit when like she was having a cig outside and like interspersing little bits of at the very start when he's talking about how everyone loved him at the party and that woman, the white woman from the LA Times, that felt like quite a natural conversation. And there was other scenes where I felt like it was a bit more of a natural conversation, but then it completely, like you were saying, Bill, even the, even the characters felt like they were being acted at at times, like in a real argument, if somebody was saying some of the horrible stuff that they were saying to each other, you wouldn't just be sitting there going, I can't wait for my turn to have a go. You'd, you'd get, you'd jump in and you'd like have a go. So it's this weird energy of like, here's this really realistic thing, but then here's this like stylized film thing of like you were saying, put on a record, have a sig, and now it's my turn. Like that's not how people are, but the film could very much have done that, which would have been, I think at least a more engaging thing to watch. Do you think that's the problem then? Do you think it was caught between two not knowing what it wanted to be? Did it want it to be this stylized um, sort of, you know, almost European um, feel of deconstructing a relationship coupled with, I want to do a, a lockdown drama of a real uh, argument between people. Do you think it just couldn't, couldn't find its identity? I, I think you're right there. Yeah. And I, in that same vein, I was going to ask what, you know, what do you think he was trying to achieve with the, the meta narrative of the of the angst and the the rant up against the critics? I mean, that felt like you know, like you're saying, he 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 could have set it up as being like a you know a lockdown drama between two people, as you say. But then he's also he wants to try and shoehorn in this. I don't know, as I say, I can only think of the word meta, but it's um, it lo- it just lost me. It really lost me. That's the again one of the things that really annoyed me about it is that I didn't understand what the point was beside him kind of airing some of his grievances i obviously uh, you know everyone has frustrating experiences and if his frustrating experiences are forgetting to thank his wife at a premiere and then you know being annoyed about a film review like that is a legit experience for him but to transpose that on screen so literally felt lazy if i'm honest like a, a couple of weeks ago i spoke about the terence davies film the long day closes and that's very much like a personal exploration of his childhood and there's a lot of stuff in there that i imagine is incredibly detailed and incredible personal to him but the way he's made the film is he kind of makes you feel all these feelings and makes you feel what this character's going through so even though you're not sitting there with an exact kind of carbon copy of that experience, you can kind of relate to just the emotions and you can relate to the feelings and you can relate to the characters. Whereas this felt very much like, I'm sure maybe there's a filmmaker out there who has had the exact same experience that Levinson has had and is going, oh my gosh, finally, someone's talking about how annoying it is when you get a good review from someone that doesn't get what lenses you've used. Perhaps, like you said, Michael, perhaps the Hollywood elites of, sorry, that sounded very Alex Jonesy there. I don't don't like that. Anything, but perhaps like there are filmmakers out there that are going like, finally, someone's talking about the things that are bothering us in our you know <laughs> life of slight privilege and, and luxury. But it just yeah didn't work. I um I had a question. Uh, well, to you both, but Bill, I mean, for for the audience's benefit, uh, you work in the in the industry. Uh, you've been working on and off uh, on shoots and trying to make them COVID safe from a practical point of view how what did this did you have any thoughts about how they how they may have uh handled this or how how it went about from a practical point of view well yeah I mean I should say I've never worked on anything close to this scale um but my 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 uh I'm sure there's probably similar arguments my little stuff oh yeah often often But um, yeah, I, I, I have to say it, it is, it's not easy um, at the moment. So you, you think how many people on a, on a film set 
typically have to be very very close to each other um you know and these unless you've got a massive st- sound stage which takes a huge budget it's very difficult to stay socially distanced so i presume with this everyone will have had to stay in a bubble being tested and then i'll have had the bare minimum of crew on set which which really affects um how quickly you can shoot because you've got to imagine between every shot you've got to have for example makeup and hair coming in and making sure the the artist's hair is exactly the same as the other shot that's just been in the can because we've got to keep continuity going they've got to run in they've got to be uh, with the visors down and got to got to make sure they're staying as distant as possible but they can't be they can't be too close by the same with the sound guys the same with the people crowded around monitors is the producer around the monitor is the director all these people that are very important to the process but they've all got to be naturally quite spread out so i'm presuming um i've not done much reading about how it was made but i'm presuming it was a skeletal crew um you can see it from that it was just two two actors one location which which is all you know it's all it's all admirable and, and well done um for getting that across but i do think that's possibly is seen on the screen where it did become, uh, as I say, more of a, a play-like situation um, because, you know, that it wasn't often multi-camera setups or anything like that. It, yeah, I presume some of the choices he made as a, as a filmmaker were were forced on him because of, because of how difficult it is at the minute. I just wondered if you guys had the same thought that I had. Um, obviously, going back to the location and the house that they were in, was it just me that thought that it was the perfect location for like a home invasion horror movie? <laughs> like nearly every single scene, I was just like, this is crying out. And if John David Washington, Levinson and Zendaya want to make a home invasion horror movie in that same house, I'm in. Like that, it was perfect for that kind of setup. I did think maybe there would be a, a strange shift in tone and film entirely. Um, I was, yeah, I was gagging for that. It's a very exposed house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at either point, any point, either of them could have flipped. Um, you, it wouldn't have been unexpected, would it, if someone, one of them was like, right, I'm going to try kill you now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been shocked by that. But yeah, no, it was a beautiful, beautiful location. There was some other stuff I quite liked about it. Um, you know, he, I think his his central point, what he was trying to get across, I thought, um, when he was talking about this this um, art artist debate and keeping politics out, was you know when he was saying that the film should just be about energy and feelings and and, and thoughts. I thought if that was his intention, he really did get that across because it was just that it was just the violence of emotion, wasn't it? There wasn't there wasn't any political underpinning. You couldn't really. You'd have to stretch very very far to try and look for any of that and it was just this is an argument in a bubble i'm going to focus on this and these are the characters i don't think it made for a particularly great film but if that was his intention he did he did succeed on that i also liked because it was sort of done in real time and i quite i mean there was a bit too much weeing in it wasn't there for me um you know (laughs) she'd go for a wee He'd go for a wee. She'd go for a wee outside. But then I was thinking back, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really like weeing in films. But then I was thinking, oh, it's quite realistic. They'd been out drinking. You're yeah. gonna need a wee. Um, don't cut away from it. He was saying it's happening. Yes, yeah, it's, it's happening. It's his life. Okay, so that's Malcolm and Marie. It's uh, out on Netflix. Uh, well, that's two weeks in a row. The film we've chosen has has been met with unanimity. We're gonna have to fabricate some sort of argument soon. <laughs> we'll we'll script it next time. Yeah. Creaky, 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 What else have we been watching this week? Um, Sam, do you want to go first? What have you been watching this week? So the film I want to talk about is um, another film that's available on Netflix. 
and it's uh, Dolomite is my name, um, which is really, really took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting that much of it, but I had a lovely, lovely time with it. So it's um, film starring Eddie Murphy in a wonderful, wonderful performance. He's playing um, real life legend Rudy Ray Moore, who's like a comedy and rap pioneer who basically creates this comedy alter ego of this black exploitation character called Dolomite, who's really into um, sort of kung fu and is hilarious and obscene. And he's Dolomite, Rudy Ray Moore, sorry, is originally this sort of struggling comic musician performer who just can't get his big break, but all he wants to do is get his big break. And then he creates this like filthy, foul-mouthed, like, black exploitation character and gains fame and notoriety amongst like all of the people all of his kind of peers and his friends and his supporters that want that he wants to impress dolomite ultimately after kind of a very successful run on like stand-up comedy circuits he decides the next thing that he wants to do is make a film so the and he creates this wonderful kind of 70s black exploitation film called Dolomite and it's basically exploring him creating this character and creating this legacy and really importantly like there's a lot of really great stuff about creating this there's a really great scene where they're in the cinema watching a film called The Front Page that's got Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon in it and all around them are all these very polite white people that are laughing at this slightly lame very white comedy and Eddie Murphy and his like friends that he's with are all talking about how like this isn't funny like there's no and there's a line where they said there's no brothers on the screen there's nothing that i can relate to here and he basically creates this film that like amongst the community that he's a part of becomes incredibly popular because people are seeing themselves represented albeit in a very silly kind of black exploitation manner but it's yeah it, it, the film's a bit slow to start but when it gets going it's just it's genuinely joyous at points and it's such a nice if you're looking for like a nice uplifting film with some really really funny performances some really good scenes and like everyone in it is there's a wesley snipes is in it and he gives one of my favorite performances i've ever seen wesley snipes do it's just and a real delight i i really really enjoyed it yeah I'd, i'd echo that i think it it really um it, it makes you feel all warm inside because it really conveys the the simple joy of, of filmmaking, you know, and collaboration. Um, they're all there and they're having a great time making it. Interesting as well. I didn't know that he was a massive um, influence on on rap um, and rappers, and you know, Snoop Snoop's in it, isn't he? And uh, and that speaks to that. But it, so it's an interesting bit of bit of film history and and modern culture history. But I, I loved it. I thought it was so so funny. Um, a great performance by Eddie Murphy. Again, he's another actor where you just think, just keep doing good stuff, Eddie. You can do it. I I do like a lot of black exploitation films. Uh, I have not seen the original Dolomite. I don't know whether either of you. Have. Yeah, it's it's well represented in the film. It is uh, it's it's ridiculous, uh, but it's very it's a good time. Um, yeah, if you want to, yeah, it's well, it's as it was intended to be. It's a good laugh. Um, it's very inventive and um, very yeah, very funny. <laughs> I, it does that great thing at the end as well of showing you some of the actual clips from the film. So even if you haven't seen it, it shows you some of the clips that they recreate. And that it's I always like seeing that in those kind of films. It was I was like, oh, I need to track down the original Dolomite. <laughs> Bill, do you want to tell us what you've been watching this last week? Yeah, I uh, I watched a film called The Stanford Prison Experiment, um, which is uh, based on 
quite a famous um, and infamous experiment that took place at Stanford. Titles a spoiler um, in uh, in 1971, where a uh, psychologist um, put out an ad for um, for some college students to um, take part in an experiment, which half of them would be prison guards and half of them would be prisoners, and it was decided on a coin toss, which one you know he was going through all the profiling, but it was just decided at random, and they were going to spend time in a prison, and it was to um, investigate how people fell into the roles, and um, this is uh, this film goes over that um stars uh, michael angrano ezra miller billy crudrup who all i think fantastic actors um billy crudrup's very underrated in my opinion he's been in some great films almost famous fantastic in um but yeah it was it was a really interesting film um it was one of those films where you finish it and i immediately spent a long time researching the subject matter i thought watching it i was thinking you know, it, it starts off quite funny, but then it, it gets very scary very fast and things escalate very fast. And I, I thought at the time, oh, it's a bit of a criticism. You know, it could have could have spent a little bit more time breathing. But then I looked it up and, yeah, things did escalate real fast in the real story. It uh, it went south pretty quickly. But it's it's cool. It's, um, you know, obviously set in the 70s, but the, the director chooses to give it a um, quite grainy, cigarette nauseous 70s sort of look you know that that yellowish tint to things all feels a bit unhealthy and it also references um films in that one of the um, students that wants to be a guard decides to build his performance and he bases it on the captain in cool hand luke oh, uh, cool. what we've got here is a failure to communicate um and based on that again based on fact and it makes the whole film very entertaining so entertaining in fact that when you're watching it, you're thinking, well, I was thinking, I'm just watching a straight up prison drama. These guys are actually in prison. They can't get out. And the, the film keeps playing with that because you keep thinking, no, this, they're just they're doing this for $15 a day. They could at any point. Really interesting, um, you know, how, how quickly people assimilate into a system. And it makes you ask questions of yourself because it does make you think. Gosh, would I, what, how would I react to this sort of situation? Um, but yeah, it, it, remarkably accurate as well, I must say. You know, you, you watch this film and you think, ah, oh, they must dress this up. But as I said, I went down the rabbit hole last night after watching it and uh, researched it. And yeah, a lot of it, it seems to have um, towed the line of facts quite, quite well. I absolutely love stuff like this, these, those kinds of uh, experiments that try and create sort of social situations i really do enjoy that i as you were talking there i i remember that i have seen a film about about the same thing but it's not the one that that you've just been talking about i think i've seen das experiment which was a german, the german that's the german yeah, one yeah from it? 2001 uh which yeah i remember being quite good but yeah i'm gonna have to check out this one yeah, it's available on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's it's very watchable. It's not a documentary. It's a it's a drama. Um, great cast in it. Um, and yeah, I think it it speaks as well to you know this feeling power corrupts, um, which is obviously we're all thinking about. I was actually started to think about that Jackie Weaver thing um, because I was thinking <laughs> you know people go mad with power and um, and yeah it's it uh, it uh, yeah made me made me think about that. Have they read the standing orders in that film? <laughs> Okay, uh, so what have I been watching this week? I have, uh, I've been watching uh, the Adam Curtis doc- film documentary series, Can't Get You Out of My Head. And I should just say, I mean, you boys know, but uh, you know, he's been a documentary filmmaker for the best part of 40 years. And uh, if, I, if I start sounding like a fanboy, it's, well, because I am, I suppose. Um, I, I love 
everything that he's done. I've seen uh, everything that is available. I mean, all this stuff is available either on on iPlayer or on YouTube. I don't think anyone makes films quite like him. I think he's, he's totally unique in his use of archive footage, his expansive research and storytelling, uh, and his incredible use of you know his collage of sounds. They are both. He makes films that are both really entertaining and deeply enlightening. And you talk about going at build, you as you did going down into a Wikipedia hole. I mean, you, you, these are custom built for uh, for that sort of activity. So his most sort of most celebrated works, I suppose, are The Century of the Self and The Power of Nightmares, for which I, I believe he's won some BAFTAs for those. And most recently, his projects on the iPlayer, Bitter Lake and Hypernormalization are more sort of long-form films. This new project, Can't Get You Out of My Head, is uh, something else entirely, really. It's eight hours over six episodes. They are rich, they're immersive, they're mind-boggling, and they're actually very moving at times. I just watched the, the, the final episode last night. And I think, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's quite moving. Ostensibly, so it's impossible really to try and summarise, but the sort of subtitle of the films are, are an emotional history of the modern world. And really what Curtis is trying to do is he's trying to explore all the things over the course of the last 70 or so years that have contributed to the current state of turbulence and chaos, in which there's lots of agitation for change from you know going back to the Occupy movement, to Brexit, Trump, Corbyn, Black Lives Matter. There's lots of, there's lots of anger, there's lots of uh, desire for change, but nothing ever really seems to. The structures of power remain very much unaltered. And in and around this, he charts the rise and now perhaps the we're seeing the fall of the age of the individual, where you know what we felt and thought were the most important guiding motives, above and beyond the collective belief in a system or an idea. So, what he does is, as is characteristic of all his films, he jumps around the West from the, the West to China to Russia, and explores a whole cast of really disparate and fascinating characters that are more or less lost to history. So you've got people like Zhang Qing, who's who's the, the wife of, of Chairman Mao, uh, Michael X, who's a revolutionary uh, revolutionary character in, in the Notting Hill in the 1960s, Afini Shakur, who was the, the mother of Tupac, Greg Hill and Kerry Thornley, who started their own uh, conspiracy theory called uh, Discordianism. It explores conspiracy theories, it explores the loss of empire and the rise of nationalism, artificial intelligence, new myths about data, you know, the decline of American manufacturing, the opioid epidemic, MK Ultra, behavioral psychology, it covers so much. And I will just, I'll just uh, finish on this really, which is just to say that, I mean, unlike any other film, I mean, it's interesting, you know, even when we were talking about Malcolm and Marie and this really stripped down film process, the film, as we all know, you know, it's even though you know, the, the auteurs, the directors, it's very much a singular vision, Film is a really collaborative endeavour. It's the it's the product of so many people helping to make this one thing. With Adam Curtis's films, it, I think it's very you know you couldn't really get a film that's much more the product of one person's creative vision. All the research is done by him. He sources all of the footage from the you know the massive BBC archive, which is I think the, the biggest archive in the world. He does all the editing himself. He narrates it himself, and he creates the you know the the sound collage, the wonderful. Uh, the wonderful score so it really is a kind of one person's kind of creative vision really and it's yeah I love them I could talk about them all day um, but I recommend them highly to, to anyone who really wants to try and sort of understand a little bit 
better where we're at now. Yeah, I, I've I've only watched um, one episode. Um, you recommended it, and I've, I've got to say, it's um, yes, it's hypnotic. And if you want to um, refresh your Spotify playlist, it's fantastic as well because you'll spend half of it shazamming because it, he's, he's <laughs> it, his his music choices are just fantastic. Um, and you know, it's it's quite genius actually how he marries it up with the images. But yeah, I, I totally agree, Mike. It's it really does feel like a singular vision, doesn't it? It feels like it's all him this is my kind of music. This is, these are the images I want to put across. These are the facts I want to uh, talk to you about. Um, so yeah, it, it does feel like you're getting a, a one-on-one chat with him sort of in this hazed drug filled <laughs> fevered nightmare we're living through. Amazing. I've, I've not started the series yet, but it's very much on my, uh, on my list. I feel like I need to be in the right frame of mind for an Adam Curtis experience, but once I get in that room of mind, I'm going to be all over it. Yeah, I, I watched it on a lunch break, and it was tough to go back to a, a Zoom call after that. I had I had things to say that weren't really pertinent to uh, to a budgetary discussion. <laughs> I say there are, so. There are two ways, really. I mean, it takes me normally. I will first time I will watch anything by him. It's best just to let it wash over you, really, and just go go, go along for the ride and the experience of it. Um, it's only really on a second viewing that I ever really start to absorb any of it. So I think I'm very much, I need to watch it again at some point in a few weeks time and just actually take something from it because at the moment it's just a, a sensory overload, information overload. I'm quite glad that you've said that because I always feel like when I watch it and I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. It's nice that you have that feeling as well, Michael. That's, that's good to hear. <laughs> well, thank you very much both. Uh, that was really good. And thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. We'll be talking about uh, News of the World, I believe, the new Tom Hanks film. Oh, is that a Western, Michael, by any chance? I think it may be. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Look forward to that. hope it's better than Young Guns. <laughs> Will that be difficult? Uh, but yeah, thank you both. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.